everybody! Hello! Yes, sir! Yes, man! Welcome back to another episode of The Watch Report! We're back again on a Monday afternoon to give you the latest, the greatest on all the things happening in the sports world and my takes and opinions on everything for you, the people, to enjoy and to be informed and to be educated on and just to have fun in general. But we're back again. Let's get excited. Let's get hyped. Let's get lit. Let's get turned. Whatever the new age or old age term you want to use. We are here, and we are hyped up for this edition of the World Report. My goodness, so much happened over the weekend, so much happening this afternoon, this morning. Reports coming out of Kevin Durant and trade talks um, building up, and the Celtics being viewed as a legitimate contender for getting Kevin Durant. That's cool. We're going to talk about that today. Also, we're going to talk about Anthony A.J. Joshua losing again to Alexander Usyk in the rematch for the Unified Heavyweight Championship of the World. Where does he go from here? My gosh, I'm going to give you where he goes from here. And on top of that, we got much, much more to cover. But the biggest story around the world today, Anthony Joshua loses in his rematch to Alexander Usyk in what can be called a phenomenal fight and a valiant effort. But again, he came up short. And Usyk retains the Unified Heavyweight Championship of the world. And is now considered, with Tyson Fury retired, or at least allegedly retired, the best heavyweight in the world. And pound for pound, not top five, but maybe top three in the, in not just the heavyweight rankings, but in the complete boxing sphere, can be considered top three pound for pound right now. He can't. He absolutely can. Now, will that be established if Terrence Crawford wins his fight against Spence coming up either late this year or early next year? Uh, that's, that's yet to be contended. But at this moment in time right now, we can consider Usyk top three in the world, pound for pound, in the boxing realm. But Usyk, we know what he is. If you're a boxing fan, you know what he is. If you're not a boxing fan, let me tell you what he is. Alexander Usyk, again, I've said this before, is a callback to a past era. It's a callback to a, a realm of heavyweights in a, in, a, in a time when heavyweights, again, 6'3 was considered big back then. Again, George Foreman was 6'3. Ali was 6'3, 6'2, somewhere around that time. Alexander Usyk is a fighter. The reason why he's so advanced and so far beyond anybody else right now except for Tyson Fury in terms of contending. And right now, Usyk's over Fury. He is. Um, he is. Unified, cleaned out cruiserweight, has cleaned out heavyweight outside of Wilder, and again, Fury, who's retired, he's the best right now. He's at the top of the list. But the reason why he's there is because of the fact that he is a callback to the fundamentals and the old tactics of a bygone era. Again, of the 80s, of the 70s, of the 60s, the 50s. Footwork, constant bobbing and weaving. Being able to use angles like somebody that is much there is a, in a much like like a welterweight, like a welterweight or or a nimble light heavyweight, 
On top of that, he's got the power. On top of that, he can take punches. On top of that, he's incredibly smart. And the one major difference, more than anything, even more than his footwork, is the fact that he can keep up that consistent head movement and work rate and punching off angles for 12 rounds without getting tired, unlike the major heavyweights of today. That's what makes him so incredibly elite. That's what puts him at the upper echelon. That's what puts him right now on the cusp of being an all-time great heavyweight. Legitimately. He's on the precipice of it. If it becomes undisputed, we can, we, now talks really ramp up as to where he ranks all-time in heavyweight history. Legitimately. Because he already did what Evander Holyfield did in cleaning out and becoming undisputed in the cruiserweight division. Now he comes up in heavyweight and in a short period of time has beaten everybody, faced adversity, and still came out on top as he's adjusting to the weight class, then goes, beats A.J. Anthony Joshua, then goes and beats him again, retaining the Unified Heavyweight Championship, nearly having all the belts, still in a position where he can still fight in his prime and is only one fight away from being able to be called, from being able to be called Undisputed Heavyweight Championship of the World, Undisputed Heavyweight Champion of the World, excuse me, the first time since Lennox Lewis in 2000. 20 plus years. It, again, he's making history. And he can be legitimately called an all-time great. Right now. But you can make an argument for cracking that top 20 if he beats Tyson Fury in, the, in, in, the, in his next fight, if they fight. That's what's going on with Usyk. That brother is bad. That brother is bad. Because he brings tools that nobody else in the division has. Everybody else just has power. Usyk, who trains with Vasily Lomachenko, has everything else on top of having good power. That's what makes him different. Anthony Joshua cut a promo, essentially in the ring, and we going that's what we're about to talk about next. But Anthony Joshua cut a promo in the ring after his loss about how he's a different breed of heavyweight. Oh, he's not doing what Mike Tyson and Rocky Marciano did in his fight. Well, that's because he's 17 stone or something like that. Or I'm essentially saying that's because in, 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 in pounds, that's because he's 240, six foot six, or six five, however tall he is. He doesn't fight like that because he's not built like that. And touche. He's a powerful, strong, heavyweight. It's nothing against him. But the issue is that those old breed, like Rocky Marciano, like Joe Lewis, like Jersey Joe Wilcox, like Archie Moore, like Floyd Patterson, like Joe Frazier, like George Foreman, like Ken Norton. 
even like Lennox Lewis. And like Tyson Fury today. And like Alexander Usyk today. What makes Usyk and Fury different from every other fighter in the division today is the fact that they don't, they are not plotting. They utilize a multitude of different aspects of boxing to their credit. They're nimble. They don't get tired late in the fight. Again, Tyson Fury got tired. He's 6'9", he was 6'9", 280 in his last fight. But that's because he intentionally bulked up to further take Deontay Wilder out and put him on the back foot and wear him down. At his main weight of 260, for him, he can go and move around the ring for 12 rounds. He can be light on his feet. He can consistently use head movement. He can consistently faint, consistently jab, have a high work rate, and be accurate for a whole fight, all 12 rounds, and not get gassed. Usyk, same way. 220, 63. Always moving, always plotting, always constantly punching, and never getting tired. On top of using tactics like the old school fighters use, or like fighters in lower weight classes use. Fighters in past eras fought like welterweights. The best of the best. They fought like welterweights. As their Charles. Legitimate consideration for one of the greatest fighters of all time. Fought like a welterweight. Sugar Ray Robinson. Was embodied in Floyd Mayweather. Not Floyd Mayweather, excuse me. Was embodied in Muhammad Ali. Ali's idol. And how was that fighting style? Loose, quick, snappy. Being able to throw combinations. Being able to go for 12. And constantly move around the ring. Always never being in the same place. Never giving his opponent the chance to rest. Joe Frazier. Always bobbing and weaving. Always moving. Always attacking. Never being content with just sitting and taking punches. This is a consistent thing. All of this stuff from the past, if you put it in a modern day, they wipe out anybody and everybody. Because the problem with Anthony Joshua's thinking is that, yes, you're a modern day of heavyweight. Yes, you're a physical freak in terms of big, strong, powerful. Cool. That's an asset. And more power to you. But you and many other heavyweights today have the mentality that bigger is better. And that's not the case. It's not the case. The reason why we vaunt old and past eras of boxing is not because we're just living in nostalgia. It's because fact for fact, they fought consistently better than you 
and better than many heavyweights of the modern day, if not every heavyweight of the modern day, due to the fact that they did not relegate their own, their biggest asset to having size and size alone. They didn't. And Joshua, you've been able to win. Yes, you're great. Don't get it twisted. You're great. I'm not calling you a bum. Anybody who does call you a bum is absolutely stupid and ignorant. But as a boxer, you are big, you are strong, you are powerful, and you have good fundamentals. And that's phenomenal. The only problem is the good fundamentals is where your eliteness stops. If you watch the last fight with Usyk, yes, Joshua was finding angles. Yes, Joshua attacked to the body more. Joshua did everything that he was supposed to do that I wanted him to do in the last fight. Wasn't jabbing to allow, wasn't jabbing forward to allow Usyk to come in and counter consistently. Made it so that he made his angles even harder to find to get through to him to fight for Usyk to find a way of attack. He went to the body. He was committing more to his punches. He was throwing naked punches. Just naked straight rights without any leader to get Usyk off, off his game, giving him new wrinkles to have to adapt to. He did that right. The only problem is he did it on a good level. That's it. Whether it was he was didn't want to get tired and gassed later on in the fight, or whether he was still trying to rely back on, okay, I'm going to land that one-two and fall back on my old tactics. Either way, the stuff that he did was good, but it wasn't great, even though the overall performance was great. Joshua went into the fight and committed, but didn't commit enough. Osik, when he commits to his game plan, he commits fully, fully, fully. If it doesn't work, he tries something else. But you notice he felt the power of Joshua. And what did he do? Kept on going. Kept on throwing punches. Kept on having a high work rate and not letting Joshua be able to find his ground. Joshua, on the other hand, even when he went to the body, even when he showed he was, it was effective, even when he was gaining ground, he would go and then he would stop. He would go and then he would stop. Almost like he did a better job of finding angles for the perfect punch. But at the same time, did not do enough to just make the angle open up naturally. And by naturally, I mean throwing punches to get Usyk to make a mistake. Because the one thing, again, last fight I said, the jab is what killed him because he was consistently getting countered because he was stepping forward. This fight, however, threw the jab in a more educated fashion, which was phenomenal. But what was leading to success was when he opened up and just went big shots 
to the body. And from there, he could then close the distance and then push Usyk where he, where he wants him to go. And then within range, while Usyk's off balance, really have an opportunity to go for broke and really punish Usyk on the back foot. That's, that's what could have won him that fight. And that's what past fighters would have done. But instead, trying to only be fundamentally sound is not what's going to work for Joshua against a fighter like Usyk who fights like a bygone era. Because bygone era is built on the fundamentals to make new, innovative offensive styles. That's what Vilsili Lomachenko does. That's what a lot of welterweights do. That's what now Yenoway does. That's what fighters who are in the pound-for-pound ranking, that's what they do. And Joshua at this point in time is a fighter. While he's great, his greatest asset is being good fundamentally. But that's not enough. Now that you're going up against fighters like Usyk, and if you want to fight a fighter like Tyson Fury, being good fundamentally is not going to win you a heavyweight championship. Now you got to go back to the drawing board and you have to essentially retool and readapt and understand that now you got to go further. You came into this fight and he did and God commend him for it. He, Joshua came into this fight wanting to be a killer, wanting to be a dog, not wanting to, to just submit to losing, not wanting to be content with saying I can try again. We saw the emotion, the drive, the fire that you want out of a champion. We saw that. We saw him crying in the crying in his post in his post fight press conference, excuse me, in the last fight or in this last fight. And that's what we want. And that desperation now has to lead to a legitimate evolution of his fighting style. And that means he's got to get past being just fundamentally sound and be able to evolve into a legitimate, dynamic, offensive style of boxing that can contend with anybody. Because he's got the physical tools. The only problem is he's only using those. His physical tools are being limited. By trying to stick with strictly fundamental teachings. And that's not going to work against Usyk. Because I love Anthony Joshua. Phenomenal boxer, phenomenal fighter. The brother is a brother who, if he adapted and took new wrinkles to his fighting style, again, like a George Foreman, he would be far better for it. And I'm not talking about how George Foreman would be able to just take punches and keep on trucking. No, because he has a weak chin in Anthony Joshua. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is, 
If you're so strong, use that to muscle your opponent out where you want him to go. Again, you have the luxury of being able to throw a lead hook or just a naked straight right or a naked power punch with no setup, and it throws the offense, the, the, the opposing boxer off his game. Having the willingness to take chances while subsequently imploring new wrinkles of bygone errors into your game, which means adapting outside of the fundamentals that you hold to will make you a far better fighter. But now you've shown, now you've actively seen the difference in the modern day heavyweight that you claim you are in the bygone heavyweights like Rocky Marciano that you don't like being compared to. Like a Joe Lewis, like a Mike Tyson. Fundamentals have gotten you butt so far. Because most of the heavyweights in the division right now are not fundamentally sound. They're not. And even if they are, they can't carry it for 12. They get gassed by round five. If you can make it past round five, you are golden and you will knock them out. That's the the landscape of heavyweight boxing today. It's the truth. Yeah, everybody can knock everybody out in one punch. But once they get past round five, now it's no longer a slugfest. Now it's a sloppy fest. It's nothing but people hanging on top of each other. Oh, Lord, breathing heavy, getting winded. They had a title eliminator in the co-main event or the fight before the main event of that fight with a fighter named Zhang. I loved him when I saw him fighting. By round six, the brother was having full control of the fight but got winded and tired and lost the fight. Even though I think he won the fight. He won that fight. It shouldn't have been eliminated He shouldn't have been eliminated from the WBC title contention in that tournament. He should have won that fight and kept on going. But why did everybody say that he lost the fight? Because he got winded and tired. Even though he was landing better shots, more impactful shots, had the other fighter in trouble more often. Yeah, the other fighter was gifted to win, but the point still stands. He got winded. Both of them got winded, actually. But he got winded earlier. In a round that he shouldn't have gotten tired in at all. Full control. And then just stopped. He had one flurry. At the end of a round, I think it was round five. Had one big flurry. That almost put the opposing fighter on the canvas. Five seconds into the round, ends the flurry and leans on the fighter. Comes out the round, tired for the rest of the fight. Tired for the rest of the fight. That's the problem with heavyweights right now. And Joshua, you've been able to get away with just having great fundamentals because of the fact that nobody else can contend with you because they're not even fundamentally sound. Even if, even if they are, they will get tired and they won't be able to keep up that work rate and keep up that game plan that they came in, even, even if they're having success against you, because of the fact that they can't carry it for 12 rounds. But you can. 
However, now you get somebody that has a motor on top of being fundamentally better fundamentals than you have and have, has adapted the fundamental style and turned it with that understanding of fundamentals into a new, nuanced, innovative boxing format that is, that is elite and something nobody else in the heavyweight division can replicate. Nor contend with. He's advanced beyond the fundamentals to a point where he's got his own style. And that's what makes him so deadly. You have the, an, the antithesis of a fundamental boxer. But that right now is not going to win you a championship. <laughs> it's not going to win you a championship. The only way you win the championship is if you evolve. And that's just not up here. That's here. You've got the mental determination. We see the desire. We see the drive. We see the heart. We see the, 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 the disgust in losing. As we saw when you threw the belts, which was disrespectful, but I commend you for, not, for, for, for having passion at the least. But throwing the lineal and WBA title over the rope. Say what you want about the speech. Whether it was good, bad, or uncharacteristic. Essentially, I took it as that was you trying to cope for having, an, having a major outburst. Nearly running out the ring and throwing the belts. Because you were, you were enraged. And rightfully so. Because you lost fair and square. You lost unequivocally. And you put your heart and soul into trying to win and avenge this loss. And you met, you met something that you've never felt before. You ran into an obstacle that you've never ran into before. You ran into a wall or a mountain rather that you just can't climb. Every other fight you've been able to climb a mountain of defeat with the next fight, with a new game plan. You've been able to climb the mountain of defeat like when you fought to, when you lost to Ruiz in the upset. Yeah, he came in out of shape, but you completely, but, but, but you adapted and then you say, okay, I'm back on top. Now, however, there's a, there's a fighter that you can't get past and you don't know what to do. You're in fits and understandably so. It's not a bad thing. The bad thing is, is how you adapt it to the fits. How you adapt it to that frustration. That's what can be bad. Turn that aggression into a unique style of your own. That evolves beyond just the fundamental soundness that you've honed as an Olympic gold medalist. As a two-time heavyweight champion. If you don't do that, you're going to... You're going to be out of title contention. Sorry. Because you won't, you can't beat Usyk with the way that you are. And that way that you are right now as a boxer is not throwing caution to the wind and, be, and not letting yourself get hit. To hit somebody. I'm not saying that's a valid strategy all the time. But as we saw in this last fight, towards the end, you were getting touched 
legitimately. Combinations left, right, and center. As Usyk regained control in rounds 8, 9, not 8, in rounds 10, 11, and 12, or rather 9, 10, 11, and 12. Excuse me, rounds 10, 11, and 12. But you were getting, he was throwing combinations to you, and you were taking them. You were saying, come on. You were saying, come on. If you were able to, to, to take the punches of Usyk, you could have then countered with a big shot of your own if now you weren't afraid to take the shot. If you're not afraid to take one to give one, which apparently you weren't, then that should have been all the more reason for you to get even more aggressive and let your combinations flow that you know you have in you. The problem with Anthony Joshua is that you, he gets to a point to where you think, okay, he's found a niche and knows what to do to work and to win. But then he stops and goes back to sticking with the fundamental aspects of what he should do. What you should do and what you need to do are not always one and the same. They should bolster each other. What you need to do should be bolstered by the fundamentals that you have. And the fundamentals that you have should bolster the game plan that you need to commit to. And whenever I watch Anthony Joshua fight, it's always one or the other. It's never one and the same. Usyk is one and the same. Tyson Fury is one and the same. Joe Lewis is one and the same. Past and present, we see that those two aspects have come together to make something that's truly elite. Not saying that Joshua isn't elite, but right now, your elite status is at a cap because your unwillingness to blend the combination of unique style and fundamental soundness into a one conducive style of boxing that's all together yours. And against Usyk, it's not going to be enough. It will never be enough. Unless you learn to adapt and change for the better. Because I want to see you succeed. But at this stage in your career, you're at a crossroads, brother. You need to look at yourself really in the mirror and say, what do I need to do to change? Because you don't just need to change one aspect for one person. You got to go back to the drawing board and fully retool how you're going to approach being a fighter if you want to get back to Usyk. Because you're going to beat every other heavyweight right now. But Tyson Fury and, and Usyk, those two, you will not beat with the way that you are. Unless you change and do a full evolution of yourself, you're not going to be heavyweight champion again. If those two are the ones holding the belt, and those two are your biggest competition. Right now, you're, you're the third best heavyweight in the world with Tyson Fury's wavering retirement, whether he's in or out. Right now, he says he's in. So right now, yes, you're the third best heavyweight. Without Tyson Fury, you're the second best heavyweight in the world. And you won't get back to that top at, that top echelon 
You want to get back to being king, the pride of Britain, the king of Europe, unless you go back to the drawing board and you take from the very era that you hate being compared to. You take from the old fighters that people say that you don't fight like, you take from them and you put that into your game plan. Then you'll see what success really looks like. Until you do, all I can do is hope for the best because right now the best is going to be second best or third best. That's what it's going to be. And I hate it for you, but that's just the reality of the situation. It just is. It just is. And I hate it for you, but that's just the case of the matter. But moving on to the next topic of the show, Kevin Durant, trade talks have been brewing, and the Celtics have been coming out, have come out as the lead favorites for getting Kevin Durant onto their team. And now the question becomes, even though they have all the pieces, Joe Tice, Joe Thigh, however you say his name, Joe, owner of the Nets, calling out other people, not calling out, calling other teams, asking for big trade packages, which is exactly why nobody, essentially nobody's moved anything and why they can't get why every team rejects the offer because they're asking for so much. But now with the Celtics being in league contention, because they are, yeah, the Grizzlies have have come into, I believe I've heard the Grizzlies have come into potential contention. But the Celtics are the main guys. Them and the Warriors, but it's most likely going to be the Celtics. The Celtics have, I've heard trade requests from the Nets saying that they want Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown on top of a bunch of other stuff. They want both of them. In, in, in exchange for Kevin Durant. And that's just not going to happen. But what can happen is the question that I want to really delve into. Whether or not you should trade Jason Tatum for Kevin Durant. And the question, it sounds like a dumb question, right? Or many, in some people's eyes, not many, but some. We'll say 50-50. Some people say, ah, nah, this is impossible. Some people say, oh, wait a second, that might be a legitimate thing. The reason why it's a legitimate trade that can happen is only going to happen if the Celtics can still keep the bulk of their roster. But if it did, let's say hypothetically, you were able to have Jason Tatum and Kevin Durant as a one-for-one trade, would you do it? Many people would say no. Jason Tatum, young, experienced, or young, gaining experience, just had one of his best seasons, led the Celtics to a finals. Why would you want to trade him away? However, I would play the devil's advocate, and I would say, if I was the Celtics, I would trade Jason Tatum for KD. Reason being is because of the fact that the Celtics are built to win right now. And I mean right now. Celtics by next year could be, with Kevin Durant on the team, the Celtics would be the finals favorites. They would. With Kevin Durant on the squad, the Celtics would be finals favorites to win. I would have them over the Bucks to win. I would have them over the Warriors to win if Kevin Durant was on that team. If Kevin Durant was on that team, 
they would have everything. You know what I mean? Everything. Kevin Durant was having a phenomenal season. Kevin Durant has been looking for a spot where he can just, one, ball without any contention, and two, have a squad that's actually built to win and not have a bunch of drama. You have that in Boston. On top of that, you have the one that you don't have in Boston or that you don't have in Brooklyn, which is defense. Elite defense. Like Marcus Smart, like Jalen Brown, like Al Horford, like Robert Williams. If you could have a one-for-one trade, you would take, and I would take, Kevin Durant right now. Because again, four-year contract, signed to max. You would have the last four years of his prime at your disposal with a young roster that is willing and able to ride or die with the best player on the team. And they have every single aspect that you would want out of a team. They have three-point shooting. They have transition offense. They have transition defense. They have size. They have length. They have strength. They have interior defense. They have perimeter defense. They can drive to the hole and kick. They're unselfish. They move the ball. They have a great coach. They have a front office that will legitimately make moves when necessary. It's a perfect scenario. You say, oh, we, we want to build for the future. We got Jason Tatum. You can have 10 years for it right now if we keep him. Yeah, sure. You have Jason Taylor for 10, 9 years. They say you keep him and he signs Supermax or whatever. You have him for 10 plus years. You may get one more shot at a title. Depending on if that roster stays together. Depending on. It could legitimately. Understand, Al Horford isn't a spring chicken. Him and he was one of the biggest reasons. He was one of the biggest performers in the playoffs and in the finals for the Celtics. He's getting old. Robert Williams is a great defensive anchor, but he's in the off. They offset each other to the Al Horford and Robert Williams. Robert is the defensive anchor. Offer is the offensive big man that can spread the floor. They, but he's getting older. Marcus Smart isn't going to be able to have the defense that he has forever. His defense is taxing, especially when you get older. Jalen Brown may look to ask for more money. Lord willing, he doesn't put outperform Jason Tatum consistently in the playoffs like he's been doing, then he really might feel like, okay, yeah, you ain't built for this. He may, he may ask to be traded. We could, it could see it, we could see it happen. We could legitimately see it happen. I'm not saying it's likely, but I'm saying it could happen. But with Kevin Durant on the squad, you have a four-year gap to where, or four-year window where you are the favorites, and most likely you can win too. You can win too. You could absolutely win too. If you're if, if you're the Boston Celtics. You can win too. And dare I say you could three P potentially. 
Potentially, you could with how that roster is built. You could actually, yeah, it's, it's possible. Three P would be would be the exorbitant status, but getting two is not out of the question, and getting one is pretty likely. You could beat the Warriors if you had Kevin Durant. You could check out Milwaukee if you had Kevin Durant. You would steamroll the Heat if you had Kevin Durant. It's, it's, it's a perfect scenario. I would be willing if I was Boston because I'm trying to win now. Right now. Understand that some of my core pieces are getting older. I would be willing to trade Tatum for KD. With the caveat of trying to keep as many of the assets that I have on my team as possible. If that was possible. But we know it's not. But even still, it could happen. Celtics have enough depth where they could trade nearly their entire bench and still have their main starting five with Kevin Durant then on the team. Because I tell you what, the Celtics are going to have to give up if it's just for Kevin Durant. Without what I know, the Brooklyn Nets are consistently asking for, which is a stupid amount. They would have to give up Tatum. Because I doubt that the that the Nets would want just Jalen Brown as the biggest trade piece. I doubt it. They would want to give up assets and only one of the big two. It would have to be Tatum. And I, and And if it came right, I'd be willing to do it. Because I would know as a Celtic owner, I would be in contention to win right now. Come next year, I'm favorites to win the finals. I am. I'm favorited to win the finals come next year. If I'm Boston, that's how I'm thinking. So that's what I would think that 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 would that would that's what I would think would happen. In a perfect world, Celtics keep all the majority of the assets. Then they were able to give up Jason Tatum. Sure, he has a great career, but you get two championships potentially, even three, in the greatest of scenarios, with KD. And that's not a bad reality to think about. That's not that's not an out of the question reality to think about. Celtics had the most to give and the most to retain in terms of pieces that they would be able to keep as well as the most to get in return, which is multiple trips to the finals. Top three record in the East, if not in the NBA. And potentially multiple championships on their horizon. That's what you would potentially get. That's what you would potentially receive in Kevin Durant. I would be more than happy to do it. In a perfect world. But life ain't perfect. We know Nets are going to try to gouge them out of absolutely everything that they own. And in the most likely case scenario, KD doesn't get traded. KD stays with the Nets. Kyrie stays with the Nets. Maybe they succeed still. Or it just becomes 
Like yeah, butting heads. Everybody's miserable. Well, we honestly, we just have to see. We just have to see what the world's going to happen on that front. But in light of talking about Jason Tatum, one of the biggest things that came out, uh, what was it, yesterday? I believe yesterday. Was a legitimate question that came up in an interview with Jason Tatum earlier. And that was, what makes a superstar? Who is a superstar in that aspect? Jason Tatum was on a podcast with Taylor Rooks, another reporter, another journalist. And they were talking together. And essentially, the the topic came up of Damian Lillard. Is Damian Lillard an all-star? Or rather, excuse me, is Damian Lillard a superstar? Let me play you this. Here's here's exactly what was said. Is Kyrie Irving a superstar? Yes, Kyrie is. So, okay. I, Do you I, want me to I, say what I think about you? I agree. Okay. But then, is Damian Lillard a superstar? I think that Damian has all of the superstar qualities, but it's hard to put him in in this moment because of he just like needs a little more. But obviously, like he has that in him. Needs a little more. I mean, he's gotta win. He's gotta get there. Like that. It to me, that's a that's some of it. So you, so like champion, I think championships matter. So as you can see, as you can hear, Damian Lillard's superstar status is coming into question, and the bigger question has been from this comes. What makes a superstar? Now, first off, let's get this out of the way right now. They're absolutely stupid. I don't care if she's a reporter and he's a player. They're absolutely, he's absolutely stupid. Again, you can find you if you can go find the full interview with Jason Tatum and 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 Taylor Rooks. Rooks, yes, I'm saying that right. To listen to the full thing, so you can get context for yourself. But in this vein, calling Damian Lillard not a superstar is utterly ridiculous. That's absolutely stupid. That's, that, that is actually disrespectful. In a way that I, that I never thought I would hear. In a way that I never thought I would hear. I would, I, that doesn't make any sense. Damian Lillard, rookie of the year in 2013. Six-time All-Star, six-time All-NBA. Made all-rookie team. Made it to the NBA top 75 team of all time. Averaged 24-7 and seven this year. He's averaged 24 and 6 his entire career. Say what you want about the 75th, 70, the all 75 team. I don't agree with the list, but the fact that he was considered for it should say something. The fact that he was put on it, whether I like it or not, should say something about his ability as a player. That's stupid to say something like that. That's ridiculous to say something like that. Absolutely stupid. Jason Tatum, I've been waiting on you to evolve into the superstar that everybody's been touting you for, like the next Kobe, like the next face of the league, ever since you came into the league. And you still haven't reached that. In my eyes, you've been in the league five years. While you're, again, while you are elite, You just now made it to the NBA Finals. You were gifted with a 
good team. Almost from the jump of your career. But you haven't won anything. Should I call you not a superstar? Huh? You have, you've had a better cast of teams around you and are considered a better player than Damian Lillard by the majority of the public. And in my estimation, yes, I think you're a better player than Damian Lillard, but you ain't one jack. And on top of that, your butt ain't, 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 you've shrunk in the finals more than you did flourish when it came time for you to perform. Didn't your coach start outplay you when it came to the playoffs? Weren't you one of the biggest reasons why you lost in the finals? Because your butt couldn't score? Had one of the worst hot and cold streaks I've seen in a playoff run in recent years? That's you. But you want to call him not a superstar. Doesn't make any sense. Here's the thing about Damian Lillard. Damian Lillard came into the league as a baller. At one time was considered, I believe, a top three-point guard in the league. They don't even talk of him versus Steph. In a good couple circles as to who's the best point guard in the NBA. He's been on par with Russ. He's been on in a, he's been on par with Russ in his prime. In terms of competing. He's been on par with Steph in his prime. In terms of competing. I'm not saying he's reached that level. I'm not saying he's better than them. Don't get it twisted. Don't be jumping at me now. But in terms of having his name in the hat. As a, oh yeah, he, he's about that life. He's that dog. He's been there. He's been there. We've called him one of the clutch, one of the more clutch players in the NBA. We've seen him go for spurts. We've seen him have incredible performances. Consistently. The one gripe about him is that we doesn't have a team. We have said on countless occasions. On this show, this will be the first time you'll be hearing this. But on, if you go on, on public forums, you could just have basketball talk in general. If Damian Lillard was on a better team, he would have so much more success. We know that religiously. Are we going to call John Superstar right now, even though he hasn't won anything either? Even though he hasn't done more? Didn't he lose to the Warriors? Yet he had an individually great performance. And we're jumping on him as, oh, the one of the big young Stars, some people already put him in the superstar caliber status. But we ain't putting Damian Lillard in there. A man who for the past eight years, however many years he's been in the league, since 2012, 2013, has shown his medal, has fought for the spot of best point guard in the league, has been elite, has been an elite closer, has averaged 30, in the season has been one of the better offensive talents at the point guard position that the NBA has seen has drug his team through the playoffs when they don't have anybody has put up with horrible management has put up with a horrible team being put around him has put up with constant ineptitude and constant outside of CJ McCollum when they were together has put up with a team that consistently falters, even though they should on paper have 
enough talent to be able to make some noise. He is a superstar. The same questions that we have for him, we can have for you. Because I'm not holding potential as a superstar cutoff like many people do. I'm holding what you actually do and your track record. And your track record states that Damian Lillard is a bona fide superstar in this league. If he went to the Lakers instead of Russell Westbrook, would that not be considered a big three? Would that not would he not be considered a superstar joining two other superstars? Would that not be the case? Any team that he went to, he would be one of the biggest moves of that year. That's fully understood. Any team that Damon Lillard goes to, let's say hypothetically right now he was a free agent. Any team that he would be the hot outside of Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. He will be the hottest free agent in the NBA today. Bar none. Bar none. Unequivocally. That's a, that, it's stupid to say otherwise. If Damian Lillard was a free agent right now, or if Damian Lillard, I said, you remember, you remember that report when Damian Lillard, when it was leaked, that Damian Lillard said I wanted to trade. Even though he came back and said, oh no, I never said that. When that happened, that right there happened. That's what happened when Damian Lillard, when that report came out. The NBA world blew up. And you heard this. This is exactly what you heard. The NBA world cheering, hollering, jumping up and down. Because we were like, Damian Lillard is going to finally get out of a bad position and get put in a position to actually win, not just games, but have a shot at a title. Because wherever he goes, with his talent, coupled with, again, any other player, it would phenomenal. Phenomenal. We call Westbrook a superstar. But when Westbrook went to play with the Lakers, we understood that the other two players were better. That didn't make him any less of a superstar. Damian Lillard, just because you say, oh, you have to pair with, up with somebody else that, that would be better than him to have a better to have a shot at winning a title, that doesn't make him any less of a superstar. Scottie Pippen was a superstar, but his best assets were complimented when he wasn't the best player. It's just the truth. Superstar status doesn't mean that I'm the guy and the only guy. It doesn't mean that. Superstar status means that you've shown that of the majority of people in the NBA, you are in the upper echelon. And you make a difference, a big difference in what your team can do when you play versus what your team can't do when you don't play. Damian Lillard has taken teams that without him sucked 
into the playoffs. Damian Lillard has been consistently great. Damian Lillard has done everything you would want a superstar to be. It doesn't have to be an a, a you just like there's tears from bad players to good players to great players to elite players. Once you reach that elite echelon of superstar status, there can still be tears of superstars from high to low. That doesn't make them not a superstar. That just makes them not as great of a superstar as somebody else, but you're still a superstar. You can if, if you want to put Damian Lillard on that lower tier of superstar, okay, cool. Guess what? He's still a superstar. And if you want to, again, if you want, like, like, like Rook said in that interview, you have to win. Win what? Is it win a championship? Is it have winning seasons? Because if that's the case, then we can call, shoot, we can call Willie Gobert a superstar if you want to. You know how many years he had the best record in, in the He's had a couple years of the best record in the league, multiple years of best record in the West, the hardest division, hardest conference, excuse me, in basketball. Is he a superstar? Huh? He's the anchor of that defense. He's a lob threat. Ooh. No, you wouldn't call him a superstar. You call him a star. You can't just put winning as everything. Cause then, and then if you're going to put winning as everything, what are we winning to have to put me as a superstar? Is it games or is it championships? Because if it's championships, Tatum, your buddy definitely ain't a superstar. If anything, you, you, you lost contention to be considered a superstar because you shrunk when it came time for superstar stuff to happen. Jalen Brown should be considered a bigger superstar than you because they showed up bigger than you in the finals. And in the Western Conference Finals, in my estimation. So what the world? What is it? What's the criteria? I don't care if you're a player. I don't care if you're a fan. If you're going to say stuff like that, you better come not asking questions. You better come spitting facts about what the world of definition is. Don't be making it vague, trying to throw people under the bus. Don't be doing that. We call, you brought up Kyrie Irving. We call Kyrie Irving a superstar. Cool. But ever since he left, LeBron ain't won nothing. Ain't won nothing. He was on the Celtics. They had a great roster. Didn't win nothing. Should we still consider him? Should we still? Should we just not consider him a superstar then? Or rather, do we take away his superstar status because he didn't win after we left LeBron? And he had Kevin Durant and James Harden still couldn't do a thing. Do we again take away his superstar status? There's got to be some sort of legitimate, concrete standard that you put in so that you can say whether somebody's a superstar or not. Just asking questions just to be 
You know, I don't know. Oh, shoot. Oh, maybe he is. Maybe he isn't. What are you trying to throw shade or trying to make some quintessential point, some deep point that you ain't making at all? Don't say something you ain't going to back up. Back it up. Say how you feel. All this mess with people going out, just saying stuff without giving a, a just cause. Ask your butt better answer it. Jason Tatum. Rooks gave her Rooks gave her definition. I may not agree with it. But hey, she at least stood on something. Your butt need to stand on something. You just got to. A superstar is somebody who is in the top elite of players in the NBA. Everybody can't be a superstar, yes. That's true. Everybody can't be a superstar. So what's the cutoff? You, 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 you could do top 15 if you want to. Top 15 players in the NBA are superstars. I wouldn't be mad if somebody did that. Because then you would have, let's see. Right, let's go down the list. LeBron James, Joel Embiid, Jokic. LeBron, Joel, Jokic. Giannis. This is in no order. Steph. AD. Luca. Dame, Ja, what is it, nine? And then, shoot, at that point, you go down and listen to whoever you want to put in from 10 on, That those could be considered superstars. And justifiably so. But unless you can name 15 players better than Damian Lillard, I think having that as a as a caveat over you just got to win, it's absolutely stupid. Because T-Mac ain't win nothing, but he's a superstar. Because he's one of the greatest scorers of all time. Jerry West kept losing in the finals. Was he not considered a superstar before he won? Carl Malone never won a championship. John Stockton never won a championship. Are we going to call them not superstars? Oh, excuse me. They have MVPs. So you got to throw accolades into that for the, for the cutter. What is it? What is it that makes somebody a superstar? And in my humble estimation, humbly, I submit to you, the viewer or the listener, a way to gauge what a superstar should be. Have a superstar, have a superstar, somebody who is, again, in the elite of the elite and in the top 15 of players. If you want to expand it to the top 20, cool. Cool. 
I won't be mad. But if you're in the top 15 of talents in the NBA, as a player who clearly far and away, few touch your skill level within the league, then you should be considered a superstar. Accolades and awards, all that stuff helps contribute to where you are within that superstar status. But just because you don't have it, or just because you don't have an MVP, just because you don't have a title, shouldn't mean that you are not considered a superstar. Because notice, I, I didn't even name Jason Tatum as in that top 15. And I know some of y'all got mad. Of course I think he's a superstar. Just like I think Devin Booker is a superstar. But again, would I be wrong to take them off if they haven't won anything? Would I be wrong? By the definition that this that was said right here, would I be wrong? No. But that's stupid. Because I would be wrong. I'd absolutely be wrong. Anybody would be wrong if they did that. So if you're going to say somebody is a star, make that star status something tangible. Don't just ask questions. Superstar is somebody who's a transcendent player. My opinion, within the top 15, if you want to expand it to the top 20, I'm not mad at you. And clearly shows that he is a difference maker. In terms of without, not necessarily without whatever team he's, without, excuse me. He's a difference maker in terms of if he's got a good team around him, you know that he's the driving force. The main driving force. While playing, again, at that upper echelon of elite talent. Now talking about stat padding. What people would call stat padding. I'm not talking about just putting up empty numbers as people would call it. To where, yeah, you suck. Or the team sucks when you're getting yours. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about you can clearly see that there is a unequivocal difference in his ability to play outside of anybody else in the league. Very few reach his level. And from that point, you're able to gauge either A, if he was on a good team, he would put them in title contention or turn that franchise around entirely into just being borderline good to being potentially on the road to a championship or B, he's on a championship caliber team and he's producing at a elite high rate. That's that, that's what I would call a superstar. Again, if Westbrook was putting up the numbers that he put up in when he was on the Wizards, is the most efficient year that he's had in his career. One of his most efficient years he's had in his career. If he was putting those numbers up on the Lakers, he would be considered a superstar. 
he would still be considered a superstar. Now he's considered a a a, a pain. We will be talking about him as 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 a superstar. We would. Just look at what he does for the Lakers. Look at just the all-around game that he does. Nobody else does what he does. That's what we would hear. That's what we would hear. That is exactly what we would hear. And with Damian Lillard, averaging 30, averaging 28 and 6, one of the best offensive players in the league, one of the most dangerous microwave players in the NBA, a top point guard in the NBA, if he went on any team that had championship aspirations in terms of making moves that actually make sense and putting a team around him that, that he was, again, fit to win with, we would be calling him a superstar. Because that production coupled with a great team builds success. And if we're asking him to leave so that he can actually win, that should tell you that he's automatically a superstar. Because we would just be saying, oh, he's a good player. Eh. We would just be saying he's a we would just we would just be saying he's a good player. We will be putting him in the same category as Bradley Beal. And for Bradley Beal, what are we saying about him? Phenomenal player. Again, one of the greatest scorers in the NBA right now. But plays with a horrible team. Took the money. I don't blame him. But we want him to leave because we know if he went and complimented another superstar that was better than him with a great team around him, oh, that would be lethal. But the difference, the difference between Beal and Dame is that Beal is contingent on not being the best player on his team, being the complimentary star. Dame can be both the guy and the complimentary star. And that team wins. That's what makes him so deadly. A great team with him as either the complimentary guy or the main guy with an elite complimentary piece. I'm not talking about C.J. McCollum, even though I love him. I'm talking about a legitimate big as a complimentary piece to him being the best player on the team. He can take that team places. He can do some real damage. As a secondary piece and the second best player, on an elite team, complimenting the best player, it would be lethal. Imagine him on the Nuggets as the second best player to Jokic. It wouldn't make him any less of a superstar, but it would put Jokic's aspirations of a championship through the roof. Having an even better caliber offensive player than Jamal Murray, coupled with... um. Michael Porter Jr. It'll be great. Again, put him on the Lakers. What happens? Boom. Title contention. Doesn't make him any less of a superstar just because he's not the guy. The effect that he has 
changes the entire outlook of that team. So Damian Lillard is a superstar. Jason Tatum, you are stupid to say otherwise. Looks, even though you gave a more a concrete definition, and I commend you for it, you're still stupid to say he's got to do more because he's done enough. If you're saying if he left, he would have so much more success. That's, that's superstar status. Because you don't just say, if a good player, you say if he left, he would be good. And, and, and that would be the end of it. That's what a good player would be if you wanted him to leave. A great player, we're saying, like Dame, who's a superstar, we want you to leave because if you left, you might have a shot at a title. You're that good. People say they want loyalty. They don't want loyalty with Damon Little. They want him to succeed because his loyalty is brought down in a lot of people's eyes what his legacy could be because of the fact that he's not going to win anything with the current assets of talent around him. That's not on Damian Lillard. That's on front management. He's producing like he needs to. He's doing what he's asked to. And yet, he hasn't brought out success. That's not Damian Lillard's fault. If he went to any team, any competent team, he would be on the cusp of a championship. He would be fighting for a championship on any team. As a number one or number two. It would be like, oh, he might actually do some damage. At minimum, he could get to the Western Conference Finals. At minimum. At minimum. So with Jason Tatum, you were fortunate enough to be put in a situation where you and your team were built and evolving simultaneously. As you progressed and got better, your team did as well with the collection of talent. It's just the truth. And that's why you won. That's why you got to the finals. Devin Booker, great offensive player, horrible defensive player, terrible defensive player. But as his game evolved, Thankfully, it was fortunate that his team also got better. From coaching to leadership in the locker room with, with Chris Paul. And then DeAndre Ayton getting drafted and evolving, getting Malik Bridges, getting Jay Crowder. All these pieces were able to put, were, were put at your disposal at an early stage in your career, which is why now you're being successful. Jaden Tatum is the same thing. Damon Lillard didn't have that. Damon Lillard came into the league. His team sucked. Got better. His team should have been better. And then they faltered. Not because of him, but because they weren't able to produce. We've been asking for him to leave for the longest time. Because we know if he gets with a competent organization, it's deadly. It's lethal. That's a superstar if I've ever heard one. If you're telling somebody to leave because they left, they could have a shot at potentially competing for a title because of their talents, 
That's a superstar. As being one of the main guys, that's a superstar. That's a superstar in my estimation. Everybody else has their, again, there's a lot goes into it. This is not an easy argument. A lot goes into what makes a superstar. But don't ask dumb questions that you won't even answer yourself. If you're going to ask that, you, Jason Tatum, you're going to ask that. Anybody else who watches this or just has basketball talk in general, if you're going to ask that and then question somebody's validity, that means you have to have some form of definition. Put that definition out. Instead of making it vague. Stand on your ground. That's what we do here. We stand on our ground. <laughs> and our ground here is that Damian Lillard is a bona fide superstar. Point blank, period. If you don't think that, you're absolutely stupid. If you do think that, unless Damon Lillard falters next season, don't you change your mind. Because if, if he's producing like a superstar, he's a superstar. And it can't be just because he hasn't, he, he can't be because of wins that constitute whether he is or isn't. It can't be because of championships that constitutes whether he is or is not. Because again, Jason Tatum, you haven't won anything. You haven't won anything. But we still consider you a superstar. So it can't be because of championships because you just lost. It can't be. Make it known. If anybody makes the argument of a superstar, whether they are or not, don't be vague. Make it known. Make it plain. Because there, there can be multiple definitions. But the point is having a definition. If you don't, you just, you're just putting fuel on a fire. And you ain't got no way to put it out. Because you ain't got no solution to the, to the answer to your own question. If you're going to make a statement like that, stand on why you make it. Other people speak for you. You speak for yourself. Because again, if we're going off of wins, Jason Tim, you're butting the superstar because you just lost in the finals. Had one of the worst, had, had, again, was one of the biggest letdowns on your team. Let me take that back. The biggest letdown on your team when it came to playing in the finals. You sucked. On the biggest stage, you sucked. You were abysmal. You were horrible. You were terrible. That's not superstar caliber play. That's not superstar status. We call you a phony. If I wanted to, I could call you fake. I could call you a pseudo star. Because your butt can't produce when the time comes for it. But I'm not, because that's stupid. Just like what you said, Jason Tatum, was stupid. 
Damian Lillard is a superstar, point blank, period. There is no question. There is no concern. Unless he shows otherwise that he can't produce at a superstar caliber level. He is a superstar. Bar none. Bar none. And if you're going to say something like that, you better bring an actual definition to make it plain instead of just having it so that people have to just infer. And what we do here, we don't infer. We infer when something is vague in terms of speculation. We don't know all the details. Right now, we do. Ain't no speculating on Damian Little. We know what he brings to the table. And if you know that, you know that he is a superstar. Unquestionably, he's a superstar. Oh, that got me upset and high. But this has been another edition of the World Report. I'm so glad to be back with y'all again. Leave a like on the video, comment your thoughts and opinions. Share this podcast with everybody that you know. I'm trying to build a community and make it big. So everybody, I need your help. I love to do this and I can't do this without you. So please, thank you for watching. Love y'all so much. Share this with everybody you know. Peace and love. Can't wait to see y'all on the next episode. We're out of here.